legacy in times of Hugo Chavez. And I would like to just let you know that we are joined at this time by Gabriel Christian. Gabriel Christian, who, of course, met um, Hugo Chavez a few years ago and has been very much impressed with his legacy and, and um, with what he did in particular for the poor of the Caribbean and Latin America. Let me say a very special welcome to you, Gabriel. Thank you for joining us here on TDN Radio. Thank you, uh, Thompson, and thank you for the efforts of TDN Radio and Good evening to your listeners. Yes, Gabe, it's great to have you. Um, we were talking earlier. In fact, I read I read earlier about some some um, uh, a person in, in Venezuela who sent who haven't seen the article on Hugo Chavez indicated she said gave ten reasons why she was not happy with Hugo Chavez. In fact, happy she's not happy that he was dead, but happy that he was no longer involved in the politics of Venezuela. She cited the drilling of dissidents and, and the closing down of, of some filthy television stations, the expelling of, of a judge and, and different things that she said. She thought that you know he used the, the, the oil wealth of Venezuela incorrectly. He did not really use it wisely. Um, but you have you, you have you have a, a kind of a different take on on, on what the legacy of of um, Hugo Chavez really is. Well, you know that's not surprising. You know, uh, Thompson at the time of the American Revolution, 1776, uh, there are credible historians, well uh, respected historians, who will tell you that if a vote had been taken uh, in the United States, well, it was then the thirteen colonies as to whether the revolutionaries should have been supported, that vote may have, been resu may have resulted in the uh, party or the uh, movement led by George Washington being defeated because uh, a great many Americans thought that the uh, revolutionaries led by George Washington were actually traitors. They were traitors to the British crown. That is the status quo that they had grown up in, which said that King George was the commander of the realm, and that should not be disturbed. Uh, Venezuela is a legacy like Dominica, like the United States of slavery. And I'll tell anybody who has had any sense of Latin America to just look at Venezuela with slums, this rich, this oil-rich country, you know, uh, in, in, in Latin America, the slums and the poverty. Venezuela has an 80% poverty rate when, when, when Hugo Chavez took, took, took office, you know. And, and you had a political directorate that was made, mainly made up of European, uh, you know, uh, Venezuelans, people who were, you know, distinctly European in origin, who, which looked down on the Indian and indigenous and Afro-Venezuelan population and, and really treated it with, this, with scorn and disdain. And those were the same people who yesterday, when the news came, of Hugo Chavez's death were at you know, clubs and bars and restaurants in Miami, you know, dancing on his grave and celebrating. It's not unlike that which happened in Cuba after the Cuban Revolution, where you had an elite again which resented the rise of revolutionary power. And, and revolutions are not perfect. I mean, every revolutionary process has its, you know, deficits or its flaws. You know, perfection, as I tell people, reigns only in heaven. So you will certainly have those who will disagree with Hugo Chavez's uh, uh, rise to power. And there's no question at all that there are those who opposed Hugo Chavez who had to be arrested. Well, you know, they, they overthrew his government in April 2002. 
So those who were involved in that kind of plotting and the murder of Venezuelans who had elected, democratically elected his government, uh, I, I would not uh, expect them to be happy. Uh, that is why they, they plotted with the help of uh, others who tell you, and the United States government may deny it, but certainly with the moral, if, if not other support of, of folks right here in the United States. And that, that history of the United States in Latin America has not always been a very kind one. So yes, he had his detractors. But as far as you're concerned, you, you want to counter that with what he did for in terms of elevating the, the poor of Venezuela because he focused very heavily on, on bringing education, on, on alleviating the, the suffering of the poor. But some people argue, well, while he was doing that, he neglected crime. Venezuela has probably one of the highest rates of, um, of violence crime in that region. And people felt that, as a leader, he did not do enough to, to really change the society with regards to crime and, and with regards to just the inequalities of that society. I mean, something here you have a country where Hugo Chavez became president in 1999, and you would have, you know, radio stations and TV stations actively calling for the overthrow of the government, Okay. And, and still do in, in Venezuela. You know, Venezuela is a country, you know, where despite all these, these, these uh, uh, you know, falsehoods uh, peddled by uh, the media, a lot of the media in the United States, there are free, you know, television stations, you know, Global Vision and others, you know, there are free newspapers, there's an opposition, you know, uh, a violent opposition that, that has in, in, in the past tried to overthrow the government by an oil strike overthrew the government in 2002 again by a coup d'etat with sections of the army, killed poor Venezuelans. All that time, you know, Hugo Chavez increased literacy, increased life expectancy, reduced poverty by 70%, you know, uh, unemployment about 5.5%, you know, from, 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 from 20% when he came in, who launched social missions not only inside of Venezuela, but missions that benefited Latin America and the Caribbean. And, and, and even his most hardened opponents, like Capriles, will tell you that if they had to take power, they will continue the those missions, because they know that those missions brought benefit, not only to uh, ordinary uh, or so-called um, poor and drunk-trodden Venezuelans, but even middle-class Venezuelans as well. What happened was, when he took power, he had to come up against a, 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 an elite that had controlled things for a long time. For instance, Pedavesa, which was the Venezuelan oil company, was so entrenched that they would not allow a national audit. They would not respond to the parliament. They would not, they didn't want, and this is, this is a, a pretty much government-owned company. They, they did not want to respond to the public will. And when the government tried to change the executive, they decided to go on strike. Those are the people who, you know, I, Miami and other places now who uh, uh, scorned his, his rule. You know, again, as I, I said, you know, Hugo Chavez was, was not a perfect uh, president, but without a doubt, he was the best president that Venezuela had in, in, living, in living memory, as far as uh, the wealth of the country being used for its internal development and the wealth of the country being put in the hands of the Venezuelan people and being used to develop a new series of industries in, in, in Venezuela in his hope to diversify the economy away from total dependence on petroleum. Agricultural production in Venezuela in the 14 years that he has been president has gone up by about 30%.
they, they are producing more in Venezuela. They put more land under agricultural production because Venezuela, Venezuela basically had used a lot of its oil to import, uh, you know, um, food products from Colombia and further afield. But he's gone on a dynamic agricultural development program, gone on a dynamic industrial development program to build motor vehicles in Venezuela, to have a tractor factory built in Venezuela, to have new housing industry built in Venezuela. There's a totally green city they're building outside Caracas, uh, powered by solar. So those are the kind of things he did, uh, and not least of which uh, he, he began to chip away at the entrenched uh, aristocracy and its, its dominance of uh, the Venezuelan economy. And that, that brought him into confrontation with those who, uh, whose uh, uh, control of, of, the, of, the, of the country's economy in a very inequitable way had, had reduced so much of that country's population to abject poverty, which should never have been. Uh, but Gabriel, some people would, would argue, though, that while he built all of these factories, he, you know, as, as you right, rightly indicated, he also built uh, a factory to produce Kalishmakovs, which uh, guns that would, that would then be used in Colombia and in, in, in Bolivia and in Latin America. Uh, so how do you reconcile those two faces? Well, look, let's, let's put it this way. If you had a... Um, if you had a country which had faced the sort of attack that Venezuela had, whose government had been toppled, you know, where the president had been put under house arrest for three days at, at the risk of his life, where many of his supporters had been killed by, uh, by, by, by uh, coup makers uh, in the army in league with, 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 with outside uh, powers, uh, and, and uh, those in Venezuela will tell you that outside powers the United States, would you not feel the right to defend yourself? Venezuela has never attacked any country. You know. Venezuela has never attacked any of its neighbors. Okay? The problems in Colombia, for instance, has been going on for about 50 years. They, they predate Chavez coming to power. In fact, the, governor, the government of um, um, Santos, led by uh, President Santos in Colombia, uh, has come out in full support of, of Chavez's uh, uh, working with it in trying to reduce violence on the border and in having uh, peace talks in Havana now. So that's why in, 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 in Colombia today, you know, the, the, the president came out in, 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 in support of, of the Chavez legacy that, yes, they were politically on two different sides of the political spectrum, but that Venezuela had worked very mightily with his government to bring peace to that country. Okay, but he has an absolute right to have procured uh, armaments to protect the revolution when we knew that there were those who opposed the revolution and who sought to remove him. And so if he sought to bring in a certain degree of internal uh, ability to produce the means of self-defense, why not? I mean, we've seen, you know, uh, uh, overthrows of countries that uh, have resources in uh, Iran. Uh, the government of Mossadegh was overthrown. In Chile, the government of Salvador Allende, which tried to nationalize copper, was overthrown. And in Venezuela, Hugo Chavez's government was overthrown by those who sought to put the resources of our country under external control. If we in the United States had uh, a foreign country essentially controlling United States uh, oil and gas, how would Americans feel? And if when America elected a government that put oil and gas under American control to benefit American people and Mexico came in, or Canada came in and overthrew the government of the United States, would the United States have a right, not have a right to defend itself and to procure the means to defend itself? 
That is all that Venezuela has done, you know. Yet, you know, we, we, we hear that Venezuela's president is a dictator, he's a strong man, he's bombastic. And Fox News and the other media uh, never tell you the things that have been done to destroy Venezuela, destroy its leadership, overthrow its government, and otherwise destroy its oil industry when they try to put that oil industry under national control. So we've had a very biased media, and they've done, they've done, they've done a job in this, trying to, to destroy the image of Hugo Chavez, but nonetheless that image uh, is going to be there for a long time, uh, untarnished in the nationalist perspective that it, 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 it employed in trying to reduce poverty and trying to ensure that the resources of our country was used not only for Venezuelans, but Venezuelans, uh, um, Venezuela's neighbors in a manner that is unprecedented. You know, no Arab country ever uses all resources to better the Arab world as Venezuela uses resources to better the downtrodden and the less fortunate countries in the Americas. No African country, not Nigeria or any other one, ever tried to use its oil reserves or its oil uh, resources to better its neighbors as Venezuela did. Venezuela actually, uh, under Chavez, took a stance that will go long in the history of humanity as one of the most unselfish and generous ever in partnership, outreach, and south-south cooperation. And for that, we must always remember and thank the legacy of Hugo Chavez. Now, Gabe, on the issue of corruption, you know that Venezuela is a Russian corruption like a lot of, of developing countries is, but um, people felt that, that Hugo Chavez himself, he, he was above the fray. He says that no one can point fingers at him as being corrupt, yet people felt that he did not do enough to tackle this legacy of corruption within his country. How would you react to that? Well, you know, I, 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 when, when folks use terms like a Russian corruption, you know, uh, it, it's kind of difficult to um, accept that without being specific. I have no doubt in my mind that there are people in Venezuela who may have made up with resources and have had engaged in, 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 in um, uh, you know, diversion of state resources as they've had happen here in the United States. You know, how many American leaders have we had in the time that you and I have been here, Thompson, who have been, you know, um, uh, brought up on charges of corrupt activity? So I have no doubt about that, that Venezuela has like so many countries, including the United States, a job to do to have a more transparent and accountable government. Every country, some more than others, certainly can do a better job. But you made a very, very good point. You know, that uh, Hugo Chavez, despite, you know, you'll hear things like he is dictatorial. Well, he won all his elections, and they were all, you know, vouched for by the OAS as free and fair. There's not one election in the uh, 14 or so years that Chavez was president that the United Nations or the... Uh, uh, you know, the Organization of American States uh, uh, observer parties ever came back and said that they were not transparent and, and run freely. But no one ever said that Chavez himself either had engaged in a corrupt activity that benefited himself. No one ever said that Chavez had, uh, uh, you know, bought villas or sold passports or benefited his, his family. Nobody ever said that. They, they would speak to the fact that, oh, he's a leftist, you know, he's a socialist, oh, he's, he's you know, uh, hurt the private sector, you know, but, but no one ever said that Chavez himself was a corrupt man. In fact, if anything, Chavez uh, sacrificed himself and, 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 and his family uh, uh, needs to uh, give all that he could for the Venezuelan people and, and give his life, uh, you know, not only for the Venezuelan people, but all the people of the Americas in, in his unselfish governance of that country. Uh, certainly, it is my hope that uh, that country can be more efficient, it can be more effective, 
that uh, the, the, the government of Mr. Maduro can, can find a way to increase, you know, uh, private sector activity uh, and, and those inefficient uh, aspects of state policy can be made to be more efficient. And I hope that the opposition itself can be more loyal to Venezuela and not be a, a neo-colonial entity that basically, you know, seeks to place Venezuela's resources under external control to the detriment of Venezuela that it can become a, a less racist opposition that, that looks down on the indigenous and the black population of Venezuela. Uh, the, you know, the fact of the matter is you've had this historical dichotomy between a tiny Eurocentric elite that is quick to take the resources of Venezuela to foreign places and, 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 and scornful of the indigenous people. And I hope that that can change. They, they have not con- cognized that they have a need in the 21st century to uh, run a more inclusive operation. And I think Capriles himself has tried to move to the left. In fact, it's interesting Capriles is, is not trying to tackle head-on and oppose the social missions and the social democracy that uh, Chavez has built. In fact, what he's saying is, well, he's a man of the left, but of the, of the more center-left, like in, in Brazil. He, in fact, uh, he's not pointing to the United States as his model. He's pointing to Brazil, which is run by a socialist government as his model. Um, so that's quite interesting because he realizes that the social movement that uh, Chavez has started has uh, deep democratic popular roots and, 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 and uh, just needs to be maybe, uh, you know, uh, run more effectively and maybe more transparently. And as I, uh, I've always said to people, there's always room for improvement. You and I have been very strong in our uh, stand against corruption, and certainly we wouldn't want it for Dominica, and certainly we wouldn't want it for, Dom- for Venezuela or any other country. I think government must be transparent, and people must be held accountable, and there must be rule of law, you know, and where they have mistakes that the Venezuelan uh, government made on the Hugo Chavez, certainly there's room for improvement, and, and, and those, those improvements must be made, because we, we would not want to see our sister country, Venezuela, further divided between government and opposition and, 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 and having to engage uh, in, in uh, you know, dealing with problems on the street, uh, as in having to address coups and attempt coups. We certainly want peace and, 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 and concord among the Venezuelan people. That's a kindred people, a sister people. And, and, and we certainly want the best for them as we want for our country, Dominic, as well. Let's talk a little bit, and in case you're just joining us, we are talking there to Gabriel Christian Esquire, a lawyer practicing here in the Washington, D.C. area. We're discussing the legacy and and times of Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez, who died yesterday at the age of 58. Gabriel, one of the the, um, things that will outlive um, Hugo Chavez is the Bolivarian Alternative for the Americas, or ALBA, that he started trying to bring together almost a, a block of countries that would, would stand up um, in a way to the other organizations in the West, like the IMF and the OAS and so on. And Alba was moving to, to ha- towards having his own currency, the Sucre. And uh, one wonders now, with the death of Chavez, um, do you believe that the organization, that the in itself can sustain its momentum beyond beyond them. What is the prognosis uh, for Alba? Well, let me just say this. It's interesting. Eh? The uh, government of Chile, which which is a, a center-right government, um, you know, came out in strong support 
of Chavez last night, and the president is going to be there at the funeral, he says, because of his work in integration of Latin America and the Caribbean. Venezuela has been one of the strongest proponents of South-South cooperation, and Alba is an example of that. There's also the Council of Latin American and Caribbean States. That means all the states in the Americas except Canada and the United States. And I think what they were trying to do was to affirm that the people of the South have as much right as the people of the North to get together, develop technology, develop processes of economic development and integration without having to be dictated to. And that's a, that's a decent thing because I always tell you know, people that you know, uh, no one should want for others what they wouldn't want for themselves. And I, I mean, the United States, you know, no least a country, would not want to be dictated to by any other uh, country. And, and I believe that uh, the process of South-South cooperation and, and collaboration is something that there's always been a deep desire for in the Americas, and that uh, Nicolas Maduro, who is taking over, I think is of the same um, orientation, and there are leaders like uh, Dilma Rousseff in Brazil, a Brazilian growing power, Cristina Kirchner in um, uh, Argentina, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh, the uh, president of Peru, Orlando Humala, even Santos, you know, they're all part of this organization where they're trying to develop, you know, uh, technology and economic processes that benefit those of the southern cone. And the Caribbean islands, uh, those of the English-speaking Caribbean, like ourselves, we have no choice but integrate with Latin America. You know, we are small economies, relatively speaking, and our, our futures or history are tied to integration with that movement and finding common common ground and i think there is enough impetus among the leaders that still survive and still live and who will go on beyond chavez to continue that legacy uh, and 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 it's amazing that the amount of countries in latin america that declared you know all all the major countries in latin america have declared uh, national days of mourning uh, and and their leaders have um, come out publicly in support of the legacy of um uh President Chavez, even where they didn't agree with him. So I think there's enough basis, there's enough impetus for, for that integration, because it's something that is, is, is wise to do, you know. Remember, I always tell my people uh, at, uh, in Dominica that the tens of thousands and millions of people who crossed the border, you know, over all these years from South America into the United States, they're not fleeing communism, you know. You know, the majority of these people, you know, are fleeing, you know, failed neoliberal systems in Latin America, in the Central America, in the Caribbean, uh, you know, where our populations are not able to live decent lives and are forced to migrate outward to seek a, a greener pasture. So uh, folks try to talk about Chavez and socialism and so on, but those folks are not in socialism. They're fleeing, uh, you know, a system of neoliberal development, which after 500 years have failed to meet the needs of the people of Latin America and the Caribbean. And that's why there's need for change, and change is coming. Very well said. In case you're joining us, we are talking to Gabriel Christian there on the life and times of uh, Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez here on TDN Radio. Gabe, let us talk a little bit about something that Dominicans can relate to um, more intimately. The whole Petro-Carib arrangement that was uh, agreed to between Dominica and Venezuela along with some of the other islands in the Caribbean where oil would be given to or what would be sold to Dominica would be given to Dominica under that arrangement the government would then sell the oil would then remit 60% to the Venezuelan government and, and then that 40% would be paid back would be turned into into a loan to be paid back over many years now many people have criticized this arrangement for 
actually incurring more debt on a country like Dominica. And they're saying, well, you've already sold the resources, the finite resource, it is sold. And yet you, you're having a, a debt, you're incurring a debt over the, you know, for some 25 years down the road. And, and um, what are your own views on, on this Petrocarib agreement? Is that something that the government of Dominica should, should continue? I, I, tell, I tell the people who uh, attack Petrocarib, but if they have a better suggestion, come with it. Look, this is what happened in Dominica's particular case. Dominica, the Dominica Labour Party of Rosie Douglas took office uh, in partnership with the Freedom Party in two. But Rosie Douglas had a long history of, of, of friendly alliances with Cuba and other progressive states and had, uh, you know, a good relationship with uh, Hugo Chavez. And, uh, but, you know, he, lived, he didn't live long. He lived for only about the nine months of his administration. And uh, Prime Minister Pierre Charles took over. And um, in 2001, late 2001, um, I uh, got word from Piero, who I had known from the Little Independence Struggle when I was at the Sixth Form, and he was the NYC president. We actually brought him to office when we brought the students to Grand Bay to vote for him. That at a meeting, you know, um, President um, Chavez had offered to give Dominica a thousand barrels of oil a, a week, you know, just as a as a, as, as foreign ex, a foreign. Um, uh, you know, uh, assistance because Venezuela didn't have the cash, so they would just basically give them the oil. But Dominica had no means to um, process the oil. And uh, Peru and I spoke, and Peru actually asked me, that's Prime Minister Charles, to see if I can get someone to process the oil and, and, and give us the lubricants and, and, and the gas. And um, basically, I made some inquiries of my contacts in the petrochemical industry here in the United States, and the amount was so minuscule based on what uh, refineries deal with and the uh, engagement would have been so, you know, um, convoluted that it would not have made sense. So we decided to make an outright approach to Venezuela to see whether we could get actually process, um, you know, um, fuel, diesel, and 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 and, and um, gasoline. And so in 2002, Prime Minister uh, Pierre Charles uh, authorized me to make a special trip to Venezuela uh, to uh, try to negotiate that, and I went along with. You know, um, Ali Clarence and Lloyd Pascal, and we, we flew to Caracas. We didn't get to meet the president, but we met with people. We had uh, discussions. We had a, the delegation was uh, assisted mightily by Dominica's um, Venezuela's ambassador to uh, Venezuela, Carmen Grijalva, uh, who I met at that time and who has since then become a dear friend. And it was during the course of that process that we actually suggested uh, the, what, what ultimately be, be, became Petrocaribe, which was let's push for a uh, processing facility that would allow Dominica to have processing capacity. Now, we'd all been engaged in the green energy effort. As you know, Thompson, you were with me as part of DSEC, Dominica Sustainable Energy Corporation, um, to use wind and solar and, and geothermal to develop Dominica. But we were figuring the Venezuelans had the oil. Dominica was buying, you know, petrochemical um, products, gasoline lubricants at world prices. You know, oil had gone up from $10, $15, $20 a barrel to almost $100 a barrel. If, the Dom if Dominica and the Caribbean islands had to have bought oil at the going rate on the world market, our economies would have been destroyed. Our economies we would not have been able to sustain. So Petrocarib came in, frankly, as an as a, as a, uh, opportunity for us to buy oil at less than the market rate, and the difference could be used for social development, housing, education, the Operation Miracle Project with tens of thousands of people who were treated in Cuba, including Dominicans like Harold Seeley, 
to have their eyesight restored or improved, you know. Uh, and so the, the need for, to have transparency and accountability in that program is certainly there. And we certainly will be calling for it, and we always call for that kind of uh, uh, process to be open and transparent. But there's no better option than that was, which was offered by uh, Hugo Chavez and Petro Caribe, and it will go down in history as a good opportunity for uh, the countries in the Caribbean to have a, a friendly nation, offer them you know, energy at a reduced rate in order to insulate our economies from the vicissitudes of the uh, escalation of oil on the international market, which you know, would have ruined our economies to no end. And, and nobody else, there's no other country, not even Trinidad, because Trinidad, because it didn't have as much control of its, of its uh, oil resources, Trinidad could not even have offered us that kind of deal. It would have been nice if Trinidad could have done that, but Trinidad, you know, under the you know, um, ages of BP and um, um, Exxon, did not have the mastery of its own uh, oil resources that made that contribution to us, and Venezuela came to the rescue. And, and you, know, we say, you, know, we, you know, we say thank you, uh, Hugo Chavez, for having had the foresight to, to um, craft such a program and, uh, which has, has assisted, uh, for instance, Jamaica alone, saving about 500 million U.S. dollars a day, a year, I'm sorry, on, on fuel imports, and Dominica no less, because of Petro-Caribe. Okay, um, in, in moving ahead, or in looking ahead, one of the, of the, um, the other things that, that kind of draws Dominica uh, to Venezuela is, if you like, the prickly issue of Bird Island, and, and, and uh, many, many people have suggested uh, that um, Bird Island, which is very much on the front burner, um, with um, was quite a big issue with uh, Roosevelt um, Douglas, Rosie Douglas, um, and um, he wanting to basically get Dominica, get back Bird Island for Dominica, given that it was within Dominica's territorial boundaries, and um, in fact the OECS was willing and and ready at one point to to go to bat on behalf of, of Dominica for Bird Island. But under the arrangement with Chavez, that, that seemed to have gone by the wayside. Um, do you think that that Bird Island is, is a legitimate issue that needs to be, to be taken up with the Venezuelans as, as far as, as Dominica's sovereignty on this um, island? Alec Lawrence and um, Ron Lloyd Pascal will be uh, my witness when uh, they will, if history re records it right, that I brought it up at the, American, at the uh, Venezuelan Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, that uh, we wanted to make sure that the use of the resources at or about Bird Island was uh, something that the people of Dominica could benefit from. And, and um, the gentleman who was there from the old regime was very upset that I brought it up. But I brought it up because the Bird Island issue first became an issue when I was at high school, when Rosie Douglas returned from Canada, when he raised the issue. But you must understand that that issue had been um, pretty much resolved prior to Dominica's independence as between Venezuela and uh, uh, the British government. Dominica was a colony of Britain. Britain in those days had a much stronger navy, maybe still, than, than Venezuela. And Britain didn't, didn't go to war with Venezuela over Bird Island. You know, they pretty much resolved that in, the, in, in favor of Venezuela prior to our independence. However, as a nationalist thing, uh, Rusi Douglas brought it up and said, look, that was within our territorial waters and that we, should be, we should look at it again. My position on Bird Island is if we have a progressive government in Venezuela which can allow us you know, to have, let's say, equitable access to the marine resources and other resources around Bird Island, and we can share that um, area. I frankly would not 
you know, uh, advocate for any kind of conflict between Venezuela and Dominica. I think we ought to, with a progressive government in Venezuela, which allows us the use of those resources equitably, to, to, to come to some sort of uh, agreement. That would, be, that would be what would be most desirable, as opposed to have all people get into some conflict. The reality is, um, right in that area is what you call the, 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 the Avis, Avis Ridge, uh, AVS, and that's the same ridge that's linked to uh, the Maracaibo area. So there may be oil resources beneath the surface of the sea all along that area as to whether it can be, you know, profitably mined as the Cubans are now trying with offshore oil drilling is another question. But I know uh, that there are uh, geotechnical uh, studies that show that there are oil resources after about uh, uh, that area and all along the, 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 the Avis Ridge, which joins the, the, the um, Windward Islands, that um, there may be oil that they could find there. You know, we have in the southern part near Trinidad and Grenada your oil deposits that geotechnical studies are shown exist. So my hope is that we can have cooperation and not confrontation. Mean, mind you, it is our generation that raised the issue of Bird Island. When, when our parents were alive, you know, during the colonial period and so on, you know, Bird Island was a, was a dead issue. That was something that had been decided between, as I said, Britain and the Venezuelan government, and adjudication had been in favor of the Venezuelan government. It was our generation led by the indomitable Ruzi doctors who raised that issue. And, and, and uh, I um, uh, take this position, as long as there's a pro progressive government where we can have, you know, access to the marine resources and even the, petro the, the petroleum resources where those can be found, I'd be all for cooperation and, 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 and a negotiated sort of resolution of that dispute as opposed to a confrontation. A confrontation with Venezuela on that, really, at this point, you know. Yes, uh, caller, good evening. Okay, we seem to have to have to have lost this this caller there. Uh, finally, as we as we as we come to an end uh, of of this discussion, you had the occasion to to meet personally with um, Hugo Chavez, and um, you met with him, spoke with him. What did you get? from him what what was his essence as an as an individual what did you take away from your your having met with hugo chavez yeah my closest relationship was with the venezuelan ambassador carmen grijalva whose country and people we extend condolences to at this time you know over this past you know um 13 years you know carmen has been a very close friend of mine and, and our family and has visited with us and and we visited with her in venezuela um the meetings with uh, Brother Chavez were more abbreviated, but they were very productive because, you know, he, he uh, took the position that the people of all Americas need to be united. He took the position that people of African and Indian descent were as worthy as those of European descent. You know, he was proud to say he was an African and his roots were in Africa. You know, there was no leader of Venezuela that ever said, said that before because Venezuela, being a former slave society like Dominica, there's a lot of racial discrimination in Venezuela, okay? And so Chavez really was the first president of Venezuela that had an African policy where they opened up 23 embassies in Africa and basically called for the unity of Latin America and Africa that respected the fact that a good portion of all people in the Americas came from Africa. And that's why when you look at the crowds of people, the, the tens of thousands, the millions that are rallied in support of Hugo Chavez, you see the people of African descent and Indian descent, the native, spe native peoples being very prominent. And so, you know, he was a very folksy man. He was a very charismatic man. He was very 
down to earth man. Chavez, you know, I mean, there's a photo, there's a there's a video online of Chavez in Roseau. And, you know, Chavez is there in Roseau being, you know, welcomed by our people and, and showing the love and holding children and kissing them. He was a guy who didn't have any sort of arrogance about him and didn't look down on people. You know, he was, he reminded me a lot of Rusey Douglas, you know. He had a lot of Rusey Douglas, uh, the, the, the sort of mannerisms and, and gestures and so on of, of Rusey Douglas. So he, Foxy, uh, a guy who told jokes, you know, and when he met me the first time, he said, Christian, you play baseball. You, you, do you play, uh, not baseball, I'm sorry, basketball. He thought I was a, a basketball <laughs> player because okay. I was tall, you know. Uh-huh. Taller, I'm certainly taller than him, you know. So, you know, and, and uh, very, very, um, very warm guy, very warm guy. You know, we'll miss, we'll miss the Chavez's um, warmth, you know. He had a great warmth towards the ordinary people and uh, a great love. And, and for the United States, you know, they, they, they always try to put, Chavez as an anti-American. Chavez was not an anti-American. He was anti-racist. He was anti-war. He was anti-imperialist. The United States started as an anti-imperialist country. You know, the United States basically came about when George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, and these guys said, you know, about representation, and they fought for independence in the United States. Today, you know, if you try to fight for the independence of your country, you're anti-American. And that is ludicrous. Okay, very well said, Gabe, and uh, we want to thank you very, very much for sharing your thoughts there um, with us on TDN Radio and Q95 FM radio station tonight about the the life and, and the legacy of Hugo Chavez. Thank you very much, Thompson, and again, our condolences to uh, the family and, and, and people of uh, the family of uh, President Chavez and the people of Venezuela. And as another great Latin American leader once said, hasta la victoria siempre. Long live Venezuela, long live the legacy of Hugo Chavez, a man who loved his people and loved the people of our region and the Americas and loved American people to the point that he spent Venezuelan treasure to allow heating oil for poor Americans under that scheme with Joseph Kennedy, the son of Robert Kennedy. This is a guy they call anti-American. No American Every oil company like Exxon or Chevron or any of those, HES, for instance, ever engage in a program of social uh, support for the poor in Venezuela, in, in the United States, as, 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 as Venezuela did. And it's a shame and a disgrace that we have Fox on Fox News and other uh, supposedly uh, uh, unbiased uh, media uh, carrying on this, 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 uh, this, this um, program of lies against the legacy of a, a noble leader of America, someone who did more for the United States than, than many of its own leaders. So the leaders of the United States, frankly, have destroyed the economy of the United States by, by waging war in, in places they shouldn't be waging war at all. You know, and, 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 and we now are saying that the policy of the United States should be one of peace, engage in Latin America, cooperation, and stop these wars. The wars that bankrupt the United States economy. Okay, very well said, um, Gabriel, as, as clear and, and, and as concise as ever. Let me thank you for, for sharing um, time with us here tonight on this very interesting program as we talk about the life and times of Hugo Chavez of Venezuela. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. All right, um, in case you've just joined us, we were just talking there to Gabriel Christian. Um, who actually met Hugo Chavez personally. And we're talking about the legacy of Hugo Chavez, of course, many critical issues there. We talked about the Petro-Carib arrangement. We talked about um, the ALBA that he started and just, just all the different programs with which the leader was engaged. 
we want to thank all of you for joining us here tonight on this on this very interesting and important program as we discussed uh, uh, as we said the legacy of Hugo Chavez on TDN Radio. We hope you will be able to join us again next week for another time when we'll be able to talk on another issue or another topic of interest to you. We want to thank all of you for listening tonight and we encourage you as always to keep listening to TDN Radio as we continue here. We want to thank all of you and thanks, a very special thanks to Gabriel for joining us tonight as we took a look at Hugo Chavez, the man. He died yesterday at the age of 58.